What's good? Welcome to the Calcio Corner Podcast, where we cover all corners of Italian football. My name is Raffaele. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can also listen along on SoundCloud. I thank those of you taking the time to listen to this, the eighth episode of the Calcio Corner Podcast. You can follow the Calcio Corner on Twitter. It is at the Calcio Corner. Feel free to send in questions and comments, and we will address them on upcoming episodes. Uh, you can also follow my personal Twitter account. It is at Italiano Calcio. So we will start off this eighth episode of the podcast by talking about the Champions League action from this past week. We are getting a bit closer to the end of the group stage, only two more group uh, games remaining, and we're starting to see some of uh, things come to fruition and clear up. Uh, Napoli, they uh, drew 1-1 against Salzburg, which just kind of kept their poor run of results going, unfortunately, for them. Had Napoli won a game, quite frankly, that they should have won, um, they would have secured a spot in the knockout round already, but now they still have work to do, although they are still in a good position to advance to the knockout round. But they will have to um, at least get a result in group stage game five. A uh, bit of an ugly situation brewing in Naples, which uh, we'll cover a little later as well in the podcast. But again, given their poor run of results, uh, this team, it was kept in a retreat. Uh, they were to remain at the training facility. They weren't allowed to go home. Um, but then after that draw against Salzburg in the Champions League, the players decided to leave and go home against the will of club president De Laurentiis. Uh, needless to say, he was not happy about this, uh, and there's a possibility he may end up finding some of the players. There was also a bit of a fallout with uh, Carlo Ancelotti, who decided not to speak to the media after the game, despite his obligation to do so. The fan base in Naples, they've been expressing their displeasure with this whole situation, and it's kind of hard to blame them as his team is underachieving a bit and seems to be kind of like cracking and deteriorating from the inside. Um, coming into this season, obviously expectations were high, and rightfully so. This has been a very good team in Italy, and it showed some fight in the Champions League in the past few seasons. Uh, they were expected to challenge for the Scudetto, but that is no longer the case uh, as we stand 12, uh, 12 games into the season. I know I'm speaking a bit in hyperbole, but you, know, you kind of just wonder about how bad this situation could get as these uh, results continue to mount these poor results uh you know what if napoli continue to struggle they may dig themselves into a hole where they can't get out of um and they might not be able to finish into the top four and they miss out on the champions league next season something that no one could have seen coming um it would be a huge setback for this club um you kind of think about how far napoli have come in the de laurentiis years um and i know i'm speaking again in a bit of hyperbole but you just wonder how far and how bad the situation could get Again, we'll kind of touch upon Napoli a bit later on in the podcast. But staying in the Champions League, Inter, uh, unfortunately for them, they blew a 2-0 lead against Borussia Dortmund that they built up in that first half. Ended up losing 3-2. They lost late to Dortmund in Germany. A win for them would have helped them as well go a long way in kind of controlling their own destiny to advance to the knockout round. A win would not have secured them a spot in the knockout round, but it would have put them in the driver's seat to control, again, their own destiny. Now they're in a position where they need some help, which is never a good position to be in. Inter have four points, Dortmund have seven, and Barcelona lead their group with eight points. Obviously, if Inter had held on and beat Dortmund, they would have been the team with seven points, while Dortmund would have been with four points, and they would have been the team needing help, but that's no longer the case. Juve and Atalanta, the other two Italian Champions League teams, were in action this past Wednesday. Juve got the win that they needed against Lokomotiv Moscow. They won 2-1, which was good enough to advance them to the knockout round. So we have at least one Italian team that we will see in the knockout round. 
So, you know, here we stand in the middle of November, and considering a lot of the criticism that was thrown Maurizio Sarri's way early this season, um, he has a Bianco Neri in first place in Serie A. They are into the knockout round of the Champions League. So he kind of has them right where everybody would expect them to be at this point. So it's kind of unfair and uh, confusing a bit why the criticism his way, but that's just um, that's just the way that people in the Italian media operate, that certain fans operate. So got to give a lot of credit to Maurizio Sarri. Um, Atalanta, they got their first ever point in the Champions League, so congratulations to them. And it came against the very mighty Manchester City. I know City are struggling a bit this season um, domestically in England, but still a, a very hard-earned point by Atalanta and one that they should be very proud of. Um, again, whether Manchester City is struggling or not, they are a far superior team than Atalanta. So to get that point, kudos to them. Atalanta, again, only have the one point in the Champions League. Um, and advancing out of it is very unlikely, but there is a chance. They are only four points behind Shakhtar Donetsk and Dinamo Zagreb, and their two remaining games are against those two teams. So if Atalanta could get a win in both of those games, and then those two teams kind of lose the city, which is a very poss- uh, possible situation, who knows? Uh, a long shot, yes, but Atalanta could advance out of the Champions League group. Uh, other notes from the Champions League, how about PSG? They have won all four of their group games so far. But perhaps more impressively impressively than that is they have not conceded a single goal in those four games. And one of those games was against Real Madrid. Uh, Matt Riccardi, Inter's former striker, he has scored four goals for PSG in the Champions League so far. So he has been um, a sensation there at PSG ever since joining them over the summer. Bayern Munich have also earned themselves a spot in the knockout round uh, this past week. So, so far we have three teams into the knockout round that we know of. Juve, Bayern, and PSG. As we mentioned, Napoli could have uh, joined them with a win over Salzburg, but again, they drew 1-1 at home. Moving on to the Serie A action from this past weekend, we will start with the big game between Juve and Milan that wrapped up round 12 of Serie A. Juventus pulled out a tough 1-0 win despite not looking great. Uh, Milan did fight hard in this game, which was a positive sign from them considering their struggles and woes in the league. They should feel good about their performance, although they did not get the result that they had desired. So there will certainly be some disappointment from them. It was Dybala, again, to the rescue for Juve. He came off the bench and scored the goal. Iguain had the assist. Uh, we touched upon it just a little bit before about how uh, much credit I think Maurizio Sarri deserves and has been getting some unfair criticism. He's managed to work, uh, rework Iguain and Dybala back into the lineup and get them both back into playing well in contributing to this team. Um, Chesney was huge for Juventus this game. He made seven saves, uh, easily was Juve's best player. Uh, So, you know, Juventus were able to respond and uh, maintain their first place lead over Inter, who had won the day before. So they uh, lead Serie A heading into the international break. One of the storylines that came out of this game was Cristiano Ronaldo was subbed off in the 55th minute. Uh, there is speculation that, you know, he has a bit of a knee injury, but regardless, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was not happy about coming off. He went straight to the locker room, and you can see he was mouthing something as he walked past Maurizio Sarri. Uh, Ronaldo's not used to being subbed off in games, especially this early in the game, in the 55th minute. Gazzetta dello Sport pointed out today that Ronaldo has only been subbed off nine times over the past 10 years of his career before the hour mark of a game. Uh, now, Ronaldo did send out a tweet early this morning saying, you know, difficult game, but more importantly, uh, important victory. This probably is much to do about nothing, but just something to pay attention to going forward. Again, Ronaldo not happy about coming off before the hour mark 
But again, he could be dealing with a bit of an injury. So perhaps with the international break ahead, Maurizio Sarri figured let's get him off. Uh, needed to bring on a player like Dybala, who was 100% in. It ended up working out as, again, Dybala scored the game winner for um, Juventus over Milan. Inter, they got a big uh, 2-1 home win against Verona. After trailing heading into halftime, it was Nicola Barella who scored an absolute beauty of a goal to secure the win for Inter in the three points. It may sound a little funny saying this, but I, I did feel like this was a must-win for Inter. Uh, quite frankly, I feel like all their games are must-win because th- while they are only one point behind Juve, they are chasing Juventus, who look very strong, and you don't want to be dropping any more points to them. So to keep the pressure on them, you have to win every game. So they got this win. Um, I felt like Valentino Lazzaro had a really good game for Inter, which he needed. He had an assist on the first goal for Inter. Recently, there had been reports in the Italian media leading up to this game that Lazzaro, who's been underperforming and not living up to expectations, that Inter could look to sign Matteo Darmian from Parma uh, in January to kind of replace Lazzaro. But um, perhaps those rumors will be put to bed now after his good performance. Lukaku did not score in this game, um, but he still had a very good performance. He caused a lot of problems up, up front in front of goal for Verona. Um, he did a great job holding up the ball, allowing his other teammates to get involved in the offensive phase of the game, you know, proven to be that complete striker, the type that Conte loves. And this is why he pushed so hard for Inter to sign him this summer. Uh, again, he did not score, but Inter were able to pull out a two, one win. He was able to make an impact. Uh, another little takeaway from this game, Conte, uh, he again used, uh, Sebastiano Esposito, the 17 year old forward, uh, off the bench. Gave him a few minutes. He's starting to be kind of become a little bit more of a regular sub for Inter, which is great to see Conte relying on the young 17-year-old Italian. Um, a side note from this game, uh, Vecino for Inter, who did score their first goal, he was clearly suffering from a head injury that he picked up later in the game. He had to come off for a few minutes towards the end of the game on the sideline because he was not well, but eventually he did come back on the game. He was moving around slow on the field, walking around. His He was holding his head up with his hands constantly, and you could tell he was not right. Uh, however, Inter were out of substitutes, so they couldn't work a sub on for him. Um, they could have pulled him and just played down a man for the final few minutes, but they ultimately decided not to. And I mentioned this on Twitter at the time. I, I said perhaps the team should be afforded an additional substitute if a player suffers a head injury and they are out of subs, um, especially when you could see he was not visibly uh, correct and right. Uh, you know, of course, the, the argument against that could be that players could fake uh, a head injury uh, so that their team could get an extra substitute and a fresh body on, especially if they are trailing in the game. We see in sports all around the world today, especially here in the United States, that head injuries are being taken much more serious. I know in football, if a player gets hit in the head, you know, the referee obviously instantly we see stops play, which is good. I just feel like a team should be uh, afforded an extra sub if they are out of substitutes. Uh, and a player is visibly not right like Vecino was, um, without being penalized to have to go down a man. Just something to think about. Do I think it'll happen? Probably not, because again, you know, the trailing team could fake a head injury or something just to get a fresh body on, so that could lead to a lot of problems. But um, clearly, Vecino was not right and needed to come off the field, but he had to stay on because Inter were out of subs. In regards to Verona in this game, they did show some fight. Um They have done a a better job this season, better than expected, at least better than I expected. Before the season, I predicted that they would be relegated, uh, which, of course, could still happen. But they're looking relatively safe right now. They're they're doing all right. Um, They have not been an easy side to beat this season. They've conceded just the second fewest goals this season, which is very impressive. Their problem is they can't score. The offensive side of the ball is just not there for them. They've only managed 10 goals, 
which is tied for the fourth fewest this season. If they could go out and sign a striker in January, that could provide some consistent goals for them to go along with that stout defense. This team could be, you know, in a much better position and a really tough team to beat. Uh, Fabio Grosso, he coached his first game in Serie A. He is Brescia's new coach, of course, uh, and didn't quite go the way he would have liked. Brescia ended up losing 4 nothing to Torino. Um, it was a very ugly first half for Fabio Grosso's side. They conceded two penalties, which Andrea Bellotti converted both. And then near in halftime, they went down a man. Uh, Torino got a big bounce back win, one that they needed because they have been struggling this season and uh, a disappointment this season. Uh, Mario Balotelli was subbed off at the start of the second half, and you could tell he wasn't happy on the sidelines about that. Uh, perhaps the struggles that Brescia are going through and all the losing, it's starting to get to Balotelli. But again, like I mentioned, they were down a man, so perhaps Fabio Grosso wanted to stop the bleeding and sacrifice an offensive player for a defensive player, considering they were down a man. Back to Napoli, they drew 0-0 against a struggling Genoa team at the San Paolo which again kept those poor run of results going for the Southern Club. I already alluded to it earlier on the podcast. It makes you wonder how bad things could get with this Napoli club. With each added poor result, the pressure seems to mount from inside and outside the locker room, from the fans, the media, everybody involved, the president. Uh, The Napoli fans showered the players with boos after the game, and rightfully so. They had their chances in this one. Genoa's uh, goalie Radu played very well. It was a big reason why uh, Napoli were kept of kept off the score sheet i mentioned it last podcast i felt napoli scudetto hopes were already over then and if you were still holding on to some hope again they dropped more points this weekend to juve and inter uh so any little hope you had i would imagine has to be gone they're now 13 points behind juve uh they are five points out of a champions league spot certainly that's not out of reach but again the scudetto being 13 points behind juve 12 behind inter those hopes have all but vanished uh, Napoli's last win in Serie A is way back on October 19th, so we're almost nearing a month that they've gone winless uh, in their last four games. I don't know if this international break is a good thing or bad thing for them. You know, you could say it's a good thing because it allows them time away, try to re-energize, regroup, clear their minds of the struggles they're going on, or it could be spun in a bad way that the international break is now because they have to wait that much longer to try to get back out there, get that win and the perception and the and the rumors and speculation and pressure just continues to build without that win coming. So, again, you could spin it either way. Let's play out this scenario worst case. Uh, Napoli, let's say, failed to qualify for the Champions League this season. Again, we mentioned they are currently five points out of that spot. Um, they could be in a position where they have to sell some of their good players. Koulibaly this summer perhaps could be on the market. We all know Real Madrid has been after Fabian Ruiz, their Spanish midfield. Um I'm not saying it would happen, but again, missing out on the Champions League means they miss out on that source of money, which could force Napoli to sell some players. The Italian media has been reporting today that De Laurentiis is open to selling some of those players, whether it could come in January or also over the summer. Calejon is drawing interest from a Chinese club, the same one that Hamzik plays for and coached by Rafa Rafa Benitez. So we could see a little bit of a, a Chinese version of a Napoli team forming out there. Gazzetta della Sport has also more or less mentioned that all Napoli's key players could be had if De Laurentiis acts in this rash manner. I know the situation is ugly in Naples, but uh, you hope that cooler heads prevail and that De Laurentiis does think things through rationally and doesn't make, again, any rash decisions. I, I mean, the paper, again, was reporting that Koulibaly could be sold. Insigne is no longer uh, a protected player. Mertens could be had. Calejon, everybody, Alan, um, you know, pretty much anyone, but... Irving Lanzano and perhaps Alex Moret in goal is safe. Everybody else is up for grabs, perhaps for the right price. 
Then you have the rumors that Napoli could fire Ancelotti if these poor results continue. It sounds like Ancelotti will be given two more chances to save his job. Their next league game against Milan and then the Champions League game against Liverpool. If he doesn't get those results uh, desired by De Laurentiis, he could make the switch. Uh, I know coming into the season, I didn't think so. I don't think many people could have felt that Ancelotti's job could be in jeopardy. But here we stand in the middle of November, and that's the case that, again, it's been reported that if he doesn't get results in his next two games, Napoli could fire him. I think it's kind of ludicrous that we're in this position. I know Napoli are struggling, but he deserves a lot more credit than what he's being given by De Laurentiis and some of the media. I think he should be afforded the opportunity to finish out this season. I get it. His relationship with De Laurentiis has kind of gone on shaky grounds of late. But um, again, I, I just hope cooler heads prevail. Of course, as always, winning cures everything. And if Napoli could get a couple wins going, everything will kind of be the perception around this team will change. Ancelotti's job will be safe. Perhaps this potential uh, firestorm, fire sale of players could be put on hold at least till the summer when everything is reevaluated. Shifting to Genoa in this game, you got to give them credit. Tiago Mota got a big result in his young coaching career, getting a point at the San Paolo. Uh, this result temporarily gets Genoa out of the relegation zone, which is good for them. Genoa had 55% of the possession against Napoli. If you remember Tiago Mota, he wants to play a possession-style football game. Uh, his philosophy behind his dream 2-7-2 formation is all about ball control, creating short passes. I'm not saying Tiago Mota is obviously using the 2-7-2 formation at Genoa yet. But we're starting to see parts of his philosophy being implemented. Again, Genoa controlling the possession against Napoli goes along with that. And perhaps one day we could see Genoa playing that 2-7-2 formation under Thiago Mota. Moving on in Serie A, Cagliari, they remain red hot as they beat Fiorentina uh, 5-2 in Sardinia. If you haven't been taking this team serious, you really need to start doing so. They're currently in fourth place with 24 points. And they are tied with Lazio on points who are in third place. So they currently are in a Champions League spot. Remarkably, Cagliari have the same goal differential as Juventus. Both teams are plus 11. I know I said on last podcast, I don't see them qualifying for the Champions League. Um, and I still don't see them being able to accomplish that feat despite being in fourth place. We still have a long way to go in the season. But that doesn't mean, again, that I'm, I'm discrediting this team. This team is very serious and is a very good side. Um, I do believe that they could legitimately finish in the Europa League spot. But again, Champions League, I still say, is a bit of a stretch. Big reason for Cagliari's success has to be Raja Nengolan, who had a monster game. He had three assists in this win over Fiorentina and a goal. Uh, you remember in the offseason when he turned down bigger money offers to return to Cagliari, um, a lot of people kind of made comments about it. Why would he choose to go to Cagliari, who a team that could be facing relegation, rather than go to a bigger club that he had offers from where he could make more money. But Nengolan wanted to return to Cagliari, where he kind of launched his career before moving to Roma. Um, at Inter, he was not an impactful player at all. This is the one that we had grown accustomed to, but now being back, he's being back to being that ninja-type player that he is. It's great to see him back to that MVP level once again. Raja Nengolan deserves a lot of credit for this Cagliari success. Lazio, they defeated Lecce 4-2 at the Olimpico. It was kind of a crazy game. Uh, Lecce battled for a good portion of this game, uh, kept things interesting. Uh about halfway through the second half, but then Lecce, they had a penalty. It was saved, but then on the follow-up, they scored. But then the goal was disallowed after a big celebration by Lecce because they were said to have a player in the box too early. And from that point on, Lecce never recovered. Uh, right after that incident, Lazio kind of flipped the switch and, and showed that they are that much better of a team. 
um, in their superior team. We all know Lazio have plenty of talent up front who could flip a game in a hurry with Immobile, Luis Alberto, Joaquin Correa, Malinkovic-Savic, and that's exactly what happened. Lazio, heading into this international break, have the best goal differential, which is plus 15. Uh, Simone Inzaghi's side is unbeaten over the last seven games, including four wins in a row. Again, Lecce gave him a battle. And the more I watch this Lecce side, uh, the more I kind of like them. They have some some bite up front with Gianluca Lapadula and Babacar. They both played solid games against Lazio. They're two solid strikers. They're not prolific goal scorers by any means, but they are serviceable ones that play tough and physical. Uh, remember just before we mentioned Verona, they have this stout defense, but they can't score goals. I feel like if Verona had strikers like Lapadula, Babacar, they'd be a much better side in one theoretically who could even challenge for a Europa League spot with the way their defense is playing Verona. But uh, Lecce, again, a loss. They are in very serious danger of being relegated. Lazio City rivals Roma, they lost 2-0 to Parma this weekend. And then their six-game unbeaten streak in Serie A, which included three wins in a row. Roma dropping points makes things even that much more crowded in terms of European qualification in Serie A. For Parma, this was a nice win. Uh, Cornelius, he scored a goal and had an assist on the other one for Parma. If you remember, Cornelius scored three goals last week against Genoa. So the Danish striker has been carrying Parma offensive department uh, these past two games. Again, four goals over the last two games for Cornelius. Parma have some positive results on their schedule. Uh, They have this win against Roma. They drew against Inter at the San Siro. They have a draw against Fiorentina at Florence. They're kind of like an up and down team. You never know what you're going to get from them. Uh, more so times than not, they are very, uh, are a good team, but they, they do have some inconsistency, but there is a lot of promise there on this part of my side. Uh, moving on to our buy or sell it segment, uh, where we cover some of the storylines and rumors that have been dominating the Italian media in the world of football. We'll start with number one, buy it or sell it. Zlatan Ibrahimovic would be a good signing for Milan. I buy this one. Now, normally I would be against a club that is going nowhere for signing a veteran player like this and see him take away minutes from younger players. But the Milan situation is a unique one. This is a club that needs to inject some life into its fan base and to itself. Uh, Piontek is not cutting it up front. Uh, None of their strikers really are. Piontek has just three goals this season. I'm not saying signing Zlatan Ibrahimovic would fix all of Milan's problem up front and he would start scoring goals like crazy. But it could be uh, a good move for them. He could be a player that helps to develop Piontek and Rafael Leo along. I'll be honest, if you listen to my last podcast, I'm not too high on Piontek. I think we may have already seen the best from him when he was at Genoa. I hope I'm wrong. But if Milan signs Zlatan and that means fewer minutes for Piontek, I wouldn't really be opposed to that. But if they end up signing uh, Zlatan and taking away minutes from Rafael Leo then that would be a little bit more of an issue because I really think he could be a player in this league going forward. Uh, perhaps pairing him in attack with Zlatan uh, would be positive for him. He could learn from someone like Zlatan who has that that killer mentality, that mentality that he's the best, that he could finish and score at any moment. I think that's one that you would like to see the young Portuguese forward develop, and Zlatan could be the right guy to help instill that mentality on him. So, um, yeah, I, I have no problem with Milan signing Zlatan if that happens to be the case. Of course, we know Bologna are being heavily linked to Zlatan as well, and they've even confirmed the interest. Um, Zlatan has nothing but love for their coach, Mihalovic, and he wouldn't mind kind of helping out and joining that team, uh, given all the health issues that he's dealing with. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It would kind of be cool to see Zlatan playing for a smaller club like Bologna. 
Um, Bologna, they did show a lot of heart and fight early this season, but they have been really struggling of late. Um, they do not have a consistent goal score, so slotting, you know, a player like Slotin in at striker could help them turn their season around, get back on track. You know, you see uh, they have Nicola Sansone, Ricardo Ossolini on the wings, and then if you had Slotin in the middle, that could be a fun attack to watch. But, um, yeah, we'll see where he signs. I just... Anyway, anywhere he signs, I just kind of hope it's in Serie A. It'd be a lot fun to see Zlatan back in Italy. Next buyer sell it. Mario Balotelli should have been called up to the Italian national team. I have to sell this one. It's painful me to painful for me to say so. If you've been following me long enough on Twitter, you know what a huge Mario Balotelli fan I am. I know there was some talk that Mancini could have called up Balotelli to the national team to show some support for him after the incident where he was racially abused in Verona. Would if it had been a nice gesture? Sure. However, I don't think Balotelli is playing well enough to have been deserving of a call-up, and I don't think he would have wanted to be called up just to show like almost like a sympathy call-up, if you will. I don't think he'd be in favor of that. He'd want to earn that call-up. But again, he's not playing at a level deserving of so, especially when you consider the form that Cerro Immobile and Andrea Belotti are in. So it would be hard to justify picking Balotelli when you have those two prolific goal scorers dominating Serie A right now. Mancini did end up calling Stefan El Sharari up, despite him playing in China. Uh, good for him for staying in the mix. I'll be honest. I thought when he was, uh, when he made the move to China, that that would be the death of his international career. But I was wrong. This is now the second time in a row that Mancini has called him up, and he kind of stays in the mix for um, for the Euro, which is tremendous. Uh, Italy, they've already qualified for Euro 2020, uh, so. While Italy would like to keep their good form going, of course, and build on these positive results, uh, these upcoming two games during this international break mean nothing in terms of qualifying. Um, but again, you'd want to see some positive results for the Azzurri. Next one, Bayer Sell at Max Allegri would be a bad hire for Bayern Munich as their coach. I have to sell this one. If you remember when Allegri was first hired by Juventus, there was a lot of criticism. People didn't like that move. They felt that Allegri wasn't cut out to coach a club like Juve with the pressure and the, the expectations. But you look back at his time in charge with the Bianconeri, he was extremely successful. Allegri won the Scudetto every year he was there. He took Juve to two Champions League finals. You know, let's not forget that he also did win a Scudetto at Milan, uh, the last big title that they won. And ever since Allegri has left that team, they haven't even come close to sniffing one. Of course, I'm not saying that Allegri is the reason why Milan are struggling, that because they got rid of him, because at the end of his tenure there, they weren't getting the results. But he has proven to be a top-flight coach. Um, certainly would be interesting to see if Allegri could take his talents abroad. He has never coached outside of Italy. The expectations and pressure from the fans, the media, the management is just as high at Bayern Munich as it is at Juventus. So in terms of handling that type of pressure from all facets of the game, I think he would be able to handle that at Bayern Munich. The only difference would be could he do it abroad in a different country. That would be interesting, but I have no problem if... Uh, Bayern Munich decided to sign Allegri as their coach. I think that would be great to see him get that opportunity. Uh, Bayern did have a massive win this weekend. They beat Borussia Dortmund 4 nothing over their big rivals. Uh, it was a good win for them, a nice way to respond for them, given their struggles uh, domestically for Bayern Munich and um, just after firing their coach, Niko Kovac. So nice bounce back by Bayern. Next buyer to sell it. Napoli should sell Dries Mertens in January. I have to sell this one 100%. I mentioned it a bit earlier when discussing Napoli and talking about, you know, worst case scenario if they fail to qualify for the Champions League and whatnot, and it could force them to sell some of their big players. 
Well, the Italian media has been reporting, and one of the sources is Il Mattino, which is a Naples-based paper, very close to the team, that Inter could like uh, look to sign Mertens in January. And I've been reading varying reports that you know the price tag could be $25 million. Then I also read it could be as low as $10 million, which is a very big range for a player of Mertens' quality. Uh, if Inter did sign Mertens, I, I'm sure this would be a move that would really have to excite that Inter fan base. Pairing him in attack with the likes of Lukaku and uh, Laturo Martinez would be special. Of course, Mertens and Lukaku, they've played together for the Belgian national team, so there is familiar familiarity there. But uh, I think the last thing Napoli should do is be selling Mertens in January, January or any of their key players. Of course, a lot depends on where they are in the standings at that point. But again, selling Mertens just tells your fan base that you're waving the white flag and giving up on the season. It, it doesn't send the positive message that you want. Uh, Mertens is beloved in Naples. He also shares that same feeling towards the city and their fans. I know they've been trying to work out a contract extension with them, and they haven't been able to do so yet. But no, I, I don't think Napoli by any means should be looking to sell Mertens in January. If you want to explore that possibility in the summer when all the dust settles and, and this season that has been going uh, dreadful for Napoli finishes, you reevaluate things. That's a different scenario. But to sell him or any of their significant key players in January, I think would be a huge mistake. Um, but if Inter were able to pull that off, uh, kudos to them. That would be a nice addition to them. Uh, last buyer sell it. Milan should sell Frank Kessie in January. I guess I kind of buy this one. Uh, I'm still convinced that Kessie could become that field general, that that good player that we saw at Atalanta before he joined Milan. He just hasn't been able to show that yet with the Rossoneri. Uh, he has dropped. He was dropped from the team from their last game against Juve. Uh, a lot of mixed reports as to why, disciplinary reasons. His form hasn't been good. There has been plenty of rumors linking Kessie to the Wolves. In the Premier League, in Monaco, in Ligue 1, uh, the Rossoneri's asking price is around 30 to $35 million. And if they could get that price, again, I guess I would be okay with them selling him. Although he is only 22 years old, next month he'll just be 23. He's still such a young player that I, that I wouldn't be willing to give up on him yet. But again, if he's not in their plans anymore, they want to move on for him. They don't feel that he fits their style anymore. And you could recoup most of the money you paid for him. Then again, I wouldn't be opposed to Milan deciding to sell Kessie in January. Uh, final segment, we will wrap up this podcast. Uh, again, we are amid an international break, as we mentioned several times. Italy have two Euro 2020 qualifiers coming up, neither of which, again, matter because they've already qualified, which is great. Uh, their upcoming games are against Bosnia on Friday and then Armenia next Monday. Uh, Serie A will return on November 23rd, and there's some good games to look forward to to help just kind of build up and get you through this international break. We have Milan-Napoli, Atalanta-Juve, Torino-Inter, Bologna-Parma, and Verona-Fiorentina. Those are some of the better matchups when Serie A returns later in November. Uh, some other national team news and notes. Uh, Domenico Berardi, Marco Verratti, and Leonardo Spinazzola, they will miss their call-ups to the Italian national team due to injuries. Uh, kind of unfortunate for them, but Sandro Tonali, he did get called up to replace Verratti, so he's more than deserving of it. Nice to see the young Italian midfielder get a call-up. Mancini also gave some first-time call-ups um, to the national team. It was Riccardo Orsolini for Bologna, Gaetano Castrovilli from Fiorentina, and and Andrea Kistana from Brescia. So, um, again, some first-time call-ups from Mancini. Uh, but that'll do it for the eighth episode of the Cultural Corner podcast. I hope you've enjoyed. Once again, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud, feel free to leave a rating and comment. That would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, guys. Ciao.